So we're in John chapter 14. We're going to finish up chapter 14 today. Um, you know, it takes us a long time to go through any book of the Bible, at least a year, I think, um, because we take our time. We kind of gradually just kind of go step by step through it. And well, let's pray once more. Father, we do pray that as we open your word now and continue our study, we pray, Father, that you would teach us. We pray, Father, that you would build our faith as we read your word, Lord. We pray, Father, that we would recognize that these are things, though they were spoken to the disciples, many of these things are applicable to us as your believers. And so, Lord, build our faith. We pray for the fullness of your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. They're in the upper room. And um, though Jesus has told them what's coming, they're not really ready. It's almost as if they weren't listening. I think that they, you know, they would listen, but it was just too hard for them to accept it. I mean, how do you accept that the one that you have really committed your life to for the past three and a half years is going away? Uh, that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles, that he's going to be crucified. I mean, what, what a gruesome, what a horrible thought, you know. And, and yet Jesus spoke these things to them. And um, it seems, at least when you read the gospel account, that they didn't understand it until after it was, uh, until it came to pass. And then all of a sudden they were able to put the pieces together. But I was mentioning to the first service that I kind of imagine you know, the evening um, beginning well. You know, it's Passover. It's something that they would enjoy celebrating. There's food involved. Who doesn't love that, you know, when you can get together and have a meal with somebody, group of people. You know, the evening begins and they eat and they're having a good time. And then Jesus gets up and and begins to rock the boat immediately, washing the disciples' feet. Peter protests. Um, Judas gets up abruptly and leaves. At least that's what it appears to the disciples that are watching. Jesus says, um, don't worry. <laughs> don't be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going away, but I'll come back again. I mean, it was like step after step after step. I kind of imagine the evening becoming more and more uncomfortable till you just realize that what, I don't know what's happening here, but this is not what I thought it would be like. We've had Passover with Jesus before, but this, this time there's something different. And we pick up our text in verse 25 where Jesus said, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. And then we read those words again. The, the, the chapter really opened with these words. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard, 
may say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father, for my Father is greater than I. I, you know, I think it's important, guys, because I say it all the time. The Bible is not boring, and yet many of us kind of approach the Bible as if it's boring. We read it, and we go, oh, I don't know, that, that was good, I guess, you know. Or we kind of approach the Bible almost as if it's a task, a duty. You know, I've got to check the box for uh, reading Bible today, you know, and and, and I really think that's the wrong approach. I, I think that the approach, at least for the believer, it's not a task, it's a privilege, it's an opportunity, it's needful, it's like our daily bread, you know, uh, uh, we, we need to hear from the Lord daily. I don't know about you, but my memory's not getting better the older I get. And many times, you know, as I'm listening to the Bible being taught, I have my Bible open. Why? So I could check them out? No, so that I could see for myself that those are the things. So I could see it in its context. So I could allow the Holy Spirit to teach me, Lord, you know, I'm, I'm yours. I have your spirit dwelling within me. This is your word. I know that you want to speak to me and... And, and I just pray that you would do so, and, and that's why it's so important that we're people of his word. The Holy Spirit has been introduced. We saw him introduced last week, and of course, Jesus has more to say about the Holy Spirit. Last week, we saw that he said the Holy Spirit is with you and will be in you. Of course, that was to the disciples at the time. When we get to chapter 20, we see that the Holy Spirit came in them. When we get to Acts chapter 1, we see that the Holy Spirit came upon them. I mean, we see these, the, all of these things being fulfilled in the apostles. But Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. There's a theme in John's gospel account. There's a theme in all of the writings, and the theme comes from the Holy Spirit, not necessarily the human author. The Holy Spirit led each human author to write the things that he wrote in the way that he wrote it with the divine themes there. And there's a theme in John's gospel account. The theme, many themes, of course. We've been, I've been trying to point out the different themes as we've been going through John's gospel thus far. But one of the other themes that we pick up on is that Jesus tells his disciples things before they happen so that once they happen, they may believe. So it's the spoken word of something that hasn't yet taken place. But once it takes place, then, of course, the believer can find peace, because that's a theme of our text today, peace. They can find peace saying, well, the Lord has this under control. He told me about this before it ever happened. If you were with us last week or if you're familiar with the text, you know that we ended with uh, verse 23 and 24. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, Jesus said. There's that if, that condition. He puts it in the positive. Then the next verse, verse 24, he kind of switches it around, puts it in the ne negative. He says, he who does not love me does not keep my words. It kind of leaves the reader with the question, do I love him? You know, I think I said it last week, and uh, I don't mean to be offensive, but Words are cheap. You know, we could say things, but it's really seen in our life. I, you know, I, the old adage, uh, the old saying, the old phrase, 
uh, people love to talk about what they love. And that's true. I mean, you listen to the fellow, you know, he's talking about sports. You know, you don't have to guess. You know that fellow, he loves sports or hunting or whatever it might be, whatever hobby there might be. You know, they love that. They obviously love that. They enjoy that. They like talking about that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just simply, a, you know, it's, a, it's apparent. But Jesus says, I'm saying these things to you now, almost without saying it, but, but you could read into it, knowing that you're not really going to catch it now. You're hearing it now, but it's not going to be caught by you now. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, will bring to remembrance all things I spoke to you. And of course, this is where we understand the all scripture is God breathed or divinely inspired Again, they weren't taking notes, you know, on this date, Jesus did this. I mean, we don't have the details of that in our gospel accounts. The Lord, the Holy Spirit, brought to remembrance these things. Oh, Jesus said this, and this is what happened, and this is what took place. And now with this greater understanding, because we have the Spirit of God within us. And then Jesus goes on, and he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The word peace used here is a interesting word, the, the Greek word. It literally means to join quietness and rest. Oh, that sounds good. To join quietness and rest. That's the peace that Jesus was talking about. And he calls it my peace. And of course, Jesus, we know from Isaiah, Jesus is the prince of peace, don't we? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And we know from 2 Thessalonians Chapter 3, verse 16, that Jesus is the Lord of peace. And in our text today, we see that Jesus leaves us with peace. It's his peace. And that he gives us peace. It's his peace. You might say, well, wait a minute. He didn't say that to us. He said it to them. How do we know that this applies to us? Because, guys, we have the epistles. Peter, Paul, John, James, <laughs> Jude, they don't teach, they don't write about anything that they had not heard first from Jesus. You might say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul wasn't with Jesus. Paul was Johnny come lately, you know. John, that's right, he was. But, but remember what Paul tells us about his relationship with Jesus? He said in Galatians, I did not receive this gospel from any man. I did not go up to Peter and say, so Peter, tell me the gospel so I can know how to preach it. He received it by revelation from the Lord when he was alone in the desert with the Lord, the resurrected Lord, that is. And so we know that peace is something that we could apply to our life. The peace of the Lord can be applied to our life because we see it repeated in the epistles. It's his peace. You know, after Jesus' resurrection, uh, you know, okay, now it's done. And uh, do you think they were feeling much peace at that time? Quietness and rest joined together? I don't think so. They're locked up in the room, probably the same room they were, uh, you know, enjoying their Passover meal with Jesus in. They're locked in there. They're afraid for their lives. 
the last thing they want to do is, you know, to go out and possibly they'll treat them the way they treated Jesus. Jesus appears in the room, the locked room. He appears in the room. What does he say to them? What's the very first thing he says to them? Peace be with you. John chapter 20, verse 19. And then a little bit further in the same chapter, John chapter 20, verse 21, he says, peace to you. Peace to you. You know, it's not this peace, you know, <laughs> it's, it's peace. He's speaking of something that they desperately needed. They needed peace. They needed the peace of the Lord. When Jesus, later on the same evening, in John chapter 20, he speaks to Thomas. What does he say to Thomas? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. It's interesting, you know, you look at our, your Bible, the way your Bible's laid out, and, and I'm, I'm thankful, you know, I know that the scriptures weren't originally written with chapters and verses. Aren't you glad that there's chapters and verses? Have you ever seen the Dead Sea Scroll? Maybe not the original, but, uh, you know, they have these, um, like they have the scroll of Isaiah, and uh, I remember at a pastor's conference one time, they had the, the scroll of Isaiah in this glass case, and it was, you know, longer than this room, probably as long as the hallway there. And we could walk along and look at this, this, this ancient scroll, and it was just amazing. And I remember the pastors, as we're standing looking at this ancient scroll, we were thinking to ourselves, aren't you glad that we have chapters and verses in our Bibles? Because, you know, it'd be hard to find the location Remember when Jesus went into the synagogue on one occasion and he, and he took the scroll of Isaiah and he, it says, and he opened up to the place where it said and he read it and then he says, today, this is fulfilled in your presence. So I'm glad for the layout of our Bibles. I'm, I'm glad for even the little titles we have, you know. My Bible is laid out probably like your Bible. The section that we're studying today the little title that is not scripture, it's not divinely inspired, it's just put there by those who put the Bible together, my Bible together. It says, the gift of his peace. That's how it reads there, the gift of his peace. And it surely speaks of peace. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. But he's also speaking of the Holy Spirit. Guys, track with this, please, because I think this is really, really important. So is the topic the Holy Spirit or is the topic peace? Yes. The Holy Spirit is the means of this peace. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians. Remember what's in there? A number of things are in there. Nine things are in there. But peace is one of the things that's in there, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the means of his peace. And Jesus points out, he says that this peace, this peace that he gives, this peace that he leaves them with, it's not as the world gives. So there's a contrast here. The peace of the world. Think of the peace of the world. The peace of the world, it's shallow. <laughs> it's, it's unsatisfying. It's temporary at best. Uh, but the peace of Jesus, the peace of the Lord... It gives, it gives us rest and quietness of the inner person. It is, it is 
It is a peace that rests deep within the heart. It's not a surfacey thing. It's, it's something that's internal. It's, it's a peace that's, that's not dependent upon the person, uh, you know, us. It's not dependent upon us. Oh, I, I need the peace. I'm not walking in the peace. I don't have the... It's dependent upon the adequacy of Christ. See, guys, when we understand these things, then the scripture begins to take on a greater meaning. Abide in me. What does that mean? I mean, we, we have these things that are repeated because the Lord is constantly repeating things in his word because he wants us to understand. I mean, we sang it, you know, today, that last song, you know, about um, being a fruitful tree, you know, roots down deep, fruit, you know, in abundance. Jesus says, that's impossible unless you abide in me and my word abides in you. See, so we understand the, the, the principle. It's this, man, I have, Jesus says, you want to keep your life? Lose it. Lose it. Yeah, we, we, in one sense, we lose our life and we find our life in him. It's not, it's not, aren't you glad it's not you us standing before, it'd be a frightening thing, you know, <laughs> to stand before God. These people who claim to have, you know, these heavenly visitations all the time, they're lying. They are all lying. You say, how do you know? Because I know what the Bible teaches. Because I know that when there was these heavenly experiences, John, for example, John, the author of the Gospel of John, when he was caught up in Revelation chapter 4, he was so bewildered. I mean, he's falling down. He's worshiping an angel. The angel says, don't do that, you know. And, and I mean, it's just utter confusion and everything else. The Apostle Paul, when he was caught up to heaven, he says, um, uh, you could almost... Picture, you know, Christian television. So, Paul, tell us what was it like, you know? I can't tell you. It's inexpressible. I, I, just, I can't even tell you. Isaiah, he's caught up to heaven. What do you say? Oh, woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Do you see what I'm saying? There wasn't this arrogance. There wasn't this taking it on the circuit, you know, so that uh, you could sell a book or whatever. There was this rarity and humility that followed the whole thing. The world's peace, it depends so often on personal uh, abilities, you know. Uh, how, how do we get peace in the world? Well, sometimes we fight for it. It doesn't make much sense, doesn't it? But we say that's how you get it. You got to fight for it. You want peace? You got to fight for it. But the peace that the Lord gives, it's a gift. It's a gift received by faith. The unbeliever can only enjoy peace when there's an absence of trouble. But the believer, we've been enabled by the indwelling Holy Spirit to enjoy peace in the midst of trials and trouble. Guys, I had made mention just a moment ago about, you know, the disciples are they're hiding out there in the room, the locked room. Jesus comes in, peace, 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 you know. Um, 
Jesus says in our text today, I, I told you these things while I was with you. The Holy Spirit will remind you of all of these things, you know, all the things that I spoke to you, you know, very soon from now. Um, Jesus, he meets the resurrected Jesus. He meets the disciples who are out fishing all night, or at least some of them were. And he says of Peter, he says, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Where you do not wish. Why are you telling me these things, Lord? Jesus says, in this world, you'll have tribulation. Why are you telling me these things, Lord? We're told those who desire to live Godly lives or righteous lives will suffer persecution. Why do you tell us these things, Lord? To bum us out? No, I told you these things. So that when they come to pass, you may know and you may believe. You know, tradition, and, and that's all we have when it comes to Peter's death. But tradition tells us, we see this in the book of martyrs, that that. Peter, they were going to crucify Peter. That was kind of a common thing to do for the Romans, after all, you know. And uh, Peter refused to die in the same manner that his Lord died and that they crucified him upside down. I don't know what that entailed. That just sounds horrible. All of it sounds horrible. But here's my question. Peter... Did you have peace? Did you have peace because Jesus told you ahead of time? Did you have peace? We need peace. He says, let not, let not your heart be troubled. There's so much in life to trouble us and to make us afraid. That word afraid, it means to be timid. And, and it's like, Lord, give us a reason why we shouldn't be troubled. Give us a reason why we shouldn't be afraid. And in verse 28, he says, here's a reason. I'm going away and coming back to you. That's a really good reason. I'm going away, but I'm coming back to you. You know, guys, for the believer, we have this promise. We have this understanding that for the believer, when we die, um, we leave this body, you know, this tent, as, as Paul would refer to it. We leave the tent behind, and absent from the tent, absent from the body, we are present with the Lord. We are in his presence. We have that assurance. But we also have the assurance that a time is coming when those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So those that's a promise of believers who haven't tasted death when Jesus comes they'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air that's wonderful we have the assurance of the resurrection I mean we don't even really appreciate it or understand it because we don't necessarily take the time to think about the importance of resurrection it's, it's the Lord redeeming that which is his even the body and it's not going to be resurrected into the same body it's going to be a celestial body an immortal body a imperishable body. I don't even know if it will look the same. But it will be different. Jesus is the first fruits. We, we follow, you know, the resurrection. But we have this peace 
I, I think of our brothers and sisters, you know, um, around the world that are suffering. You, you've heard what's happening, the genocide in Armenia. Isn't that amazing? I'll be honest, I was ignorant about Armenia. I didn't know that it was a Christian nation. I, I really didn't until the persecution started happening. And, 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 and to think these are our brothers and sisters and they're undergoing horrible uh, persecution right now for the cause of Christ. But did the Lord tell them ahead of time that it would, well, maybe not specifically. He didn't say, well, this is how you're going to die and this is how you're going to die and that type of thing. But he, he told us what to expect. He told us to expect hostility in a godless world. And our world is becoming more and more godless all the time. I mean, I don't know. How do you become more and more godless? I guess you are godless, period, you know. But we need his peace. We need, we need the assurance. What assurance do we have? I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. I'm convinced that this is, this is why this doctrine, the doctrine of his coming, is under attack. Not by unbelievers, because unbelievers could care less if Jesus comes back or not. They don't believe in any of it. But it's being attacked by said believers Believers nowadays, they want to debate. Rapture, I don't think it's a biblical thing. I don't find the word in the Bible. We could go for another 10,000 years. Oh, I love that one. No, we can't. That's impossible. Because if you go another 10,000 years, you, you move out of, guys, you move out of the window. I mean, technology is advancing daily. Not by the decade, but daily. And eventually you move out of that window where the things that are described in the book of Revelation <laughs> will be something of the past, not of the present. I think that people are being robbed of peace and assurance because they don't have that, that sense of the imminency of Christ. Christ could come today. I could be in the presence of the Lord today. Today. Young people don't think about death. Older people probably think more about death. But probably none of us, unless you have a terminal illness or you have a condition, you probably don't wake up in the morning thinking, today may be the day I die. But the fact of the matter is, none of us know when the Lord's going to call us home to that prepared place that he prepared for us. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Verse 28, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I said I'm going to the Father. You know, it's interesting, in John chapter 14, I mean, we could go all over the place uh, to find references, references like this, but let me just give you from John's gospel, John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Remember, we looked at that last week. It literally reads, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, the first part of that verse, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Verse 21, the second part of that verse, he who loves me will be loved by my father. Verse 23, all of these are John chapter 14. 
verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Verse 24, we just looked at this a few moments ago. He who does not love me does not keep my word. Guys, it's not this big mystery, you know, this big question mark, you know. I remember when Jesus people, you know, in the 70s, and they would share the gospel with me, and and they would always kind of have a, you know, set thing that they would say. And usually they would say, they would start out by saying, could I ask you a question? Oh, sure. What would you like to ask me? You knew who they were. You knew what they were going to ask. And they would say, if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? That's a really good question. Maybe we thought about it more in the 70s than people do today. I don't know. Because there are people who profess to be Christians that don't even believe that hell is a literal place any longer. You say, Dan, you seem sort of kind of sarcastic with it. It's not sarcasm. It's sadness. Because there has been this departure from what the word of God teaches. And it's been, it's been, it comes down to what a person feels in their heart. Oh, God forbid that we would ever stoop to what feels right in our heart rather than what the word of God, the revelation of God reveals to us. If you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, I think I would go to heaven. Why? I think I'm a good person. It's usually the way the thing went down. Maybe the law would be brought into it. You know, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lose, use the Lord's name in vain, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, you know. Have you done these things? No, I think I've been good. I think I've kept the law. Do you know, Jesus said, uh, thou, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit uh, adultery. But I say to you, if you look upon a woman, and I think it goes the other way as well, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. Did you know that Jesus said that? And then you begin to backpedal a little bit because you're not used to the scripture. <laughs> so you say, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Do you know that Jesus says, thou shalt not murder? But if anyone is angry at his brother, and our modern translations say, angry without a cause. Listen, anyone who's angry has a cause, but it's not in the original. Angry with his brother. That contempt, that contempt that says, raka. Say, what is that? That's a four-letter word. It means empty head or idiot. <laughs> really? Really, that? Yes, it's the contempt behind it that you've murdered him in your heart. I didn't know that. So if you were to die today, would you go to heaven or hell? Well, oh, I, I guess based on Jesus' words, I would go to hell because I have surely lusted and I have surely murdered. And those are only two out of the ten. You know what I'm saying? Guys, the if, the ifs, the standard, the, the word of God, as we look at these scriptures, I don't think they're meant to condemn us, but they're, they're, they're meant as, as, as shining light into our lives so that we could examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. I love the Lord, 
Do you read his word? No, I don't read his word. I, I really have no interest in it. Oh. Well, according to Jesus, you don't love him. See, those are fighting words. Oh, you roll up your sleeves. You know, how dare you question my heart? I'm not questioning your heart. I'm just simply pointing back to what Jesus said. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said this. If we're followers of Jesus, shouldn't we consider what Jesus had to say? And we should, obviously. We know these things. Verse 29 and now I have told you before it comes that when it comes, when it does come to pass, you may believe. I like that. You may believe, not disbelieve. You may believe, not fall apart. You may believe. <laughs> I will no longer talk with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. You know who that is, the ruler of this world, Satan. We forget that. You know, we're going to, oh, the church, we're going to make things so good. We're going to usher in the kingdom of God. I mean, we need to get back to the last book of the Bible. No, the world is going to go from bad to worse, and Jesus is going to bring the kingdom of his kingdom to the earth when he comes. And when he comes, what does he do? He deals with Satan. He deals with the false prophet. He deals with the Antichrist. He deals with the demonic, you know, dominion and everything else. He deals with the problem. He deals with the elephant in the room before he sets up his kingdom. It's not the church just kind of, you know, kind of the righteousness of the church just kind of overpowering the wickedness of the world. No. Jesus said, if I was of this world, they would fight. Remember that. They'd take up arms. They wouldn't let me be crucified. But I'm not of this world. Paul says, we're not of this world. He says, our citizenship is in heaven. We're, we're, we're pilgrims, Peter tells us. We're, we're like pilgrims in the land. Pilgrim, when I think of pilgrim and I think of Biblical pilgrim, I don't think of the pilgrims. I think of the biblical setting. I think of Abraham. Who's Abraham? He's the possessor. He is the possessor of all of these things, and he never built a home, and he never built a palace, and he lived in tents, and he went from this place to that place, and he lived as a sojourner in the land, and yet it was all his. It was all his, setting an example for us. Not that it's wrong that we have a home or that we settle down, and we, but, but this, is not, this is not our home. Earth is not our home. We're just passing through. He says that he's coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the wor world may know that I love the Father, that I have loved the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. And then he says, arise, let us go from here. Arise, let us go from here. I'll come back to that in a moment. Satan. I don't know how much he knows. You know, he's obviously no dummy. And, uh, but I, it, it appears that he thought that he got the victory when Jesus was crucified. And he had no idea that it led to his defeat. 
You know, guys, when you look at the book of Revelation, when you look at the tribulation, when you look at the, at the Antichrist, when you look at the unholy trinity of the book of Revelation, you guys are familiar with these things, aren't you? The unholy trinity of the book of Revelation. It's almost as if this is Satan's last attempt to try to be what he could never be because he is not God. But he's going to try. He'll be like the father figure and the false prophet will be like the Holy Spirit, you know, doing kind of the spiritual things. And the, and the, the Antichrist will be like the, the Christ figure, you know, in, in his unholy trinity. But when Jesus comes, man, they're dealt with immediately. Now, I have just a few minutes here, so I'm going to take a detour. So hold on. Um, you never know how long that might take. Jesus said, this has nothing to do with our text, but speaking of Satan, I thought I would just kind of throw this out to remind us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 and 7, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. There it is again, troubled, troubled, troubled. Jesus knows we're troubled by things. These things trouble us, Lord. Please, we need help. We're troubled. We're afraid. He says, uh, be not troubled, may not be troubled. For all these things must come to pass. We just read it. I, I tell you these things so that once they come to pass, you may believe. So he says, um, he says, but the end is not yet. He says, for Nation will rise against nation. So it's ethnos against ethnos. It's nationality, ethnic nationality against ethnic nationality. We're seeing this, guys. And I don't want to belabor this, but I, I just, I think of how, um, you know, I grew up, I grew up and I was living in L.A., when the Watts riots were taking place. And that night, it was a Friday night, and we were going to go grunion hunting. I'm going to say it like a country boy, grunion hunting. <laughs> so we're going grunion hunting at the beach at midnight. This is what you do if you live in Northern, or Southern California. But we couldn't go because the Watts riots broke out. Civil rights movement, the tension. Oh, there was such tension. I mean, there was great tension. And I'll be honest, I was shocked three years ago, four years ago, when COVID hit. You say, Dan, what does COVID have to do with anything? Everything has to do with COVID. <laughs> Everything. Because other things started happening. COVID. What does COVID have to do with racial injustice, racial tension? I have no idea. But it happened. It happened. Black Lives Matter, riding in the streets, blocks in Seattle taken over. You know, all of this madness that's going on. And all of a sudden, there's this tension. And as an old guy, I'm looking, I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Where's the tension? Where's the hatred? 
I was shocked when churches and pastors started preaching on social injustice rather than the word of God. And I thought, oh, the devil, he got some of us. He got some. And I thought, I'm not buying the lie. And I've always said, if you're racist toward any group, repent. It's sin. If you're not, don't bow the knee in repentance. That's hypocrisy. But the Bible told us that there would be nation against nation. In fact, I'll be honest with you. I never even considered the Greek word for nation until four years ago. And I started looking and I said, wait a minute. Jesus said specifically, not just wars and rumors of wars, but that there would be ethnic groups rising up against ethnic groups. And that's what we have today. And if you believe the lie, I hope you don't. That's why we need to have our heads in the word of God. If you believe the lie, you would think that everybody hates each other. It's a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell, unless you truly hate him, everybody. And if you do, then repent, <laughs> because you're in sin. But if you don't, gosh, it's madness. It's a distraction. It's like the little kid, you know. Oh, look at the birdie over here. Look at the birdie over here, you know. And we all go, nice birdie. You know, rather than saying, no, this is a ploy. This is a tactic of the enemy. Say, where are you going with this, Dan? And kingdom against kingdom. Israel, Hamas, Hezbollah, Lebanon, Syria, Iran, Yemen, Ukraine, Russia, Ethiopia, China, and Taiwan, Haiti, Armenia, Armenia, U.S. and China, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on, and the world is ready to blow up. I mean, read what the experts are saying. They're saying if we're not in World War III by the end of this year. Now, here's the thing. I don't really care much about what the experts say. I'm, you know, if we're in World War III and it breaks out this year, I'm surely not rejoicing about that. But I know this, that nothing will happen unless the Lord allows it to happen. But here's what I'm saying. If you're a person of the word, if you believe what the Bible teaches about Bible prophecy, we know that Israel will not be wiped off the map. They will remain. They will remain. We don't know about a lot of these other nations. Well, we do know about some of the nations, like Syria and Iran and Russia and you know, Turkey. But we don't know about these other nations. But I believe that what we're seeing right now is we're seeing chaos, we're seeing you know, war on the horizon to set up for the man of peace to step in with the remedy. And the man of peace, I'm not speaking of Jesus Christ, I'm speaking of Antichrist. Guys, this is why we should be in the book of Daniel, studying it on our own. 
We should be studying Ezekiel. You say, Ezekiel, I can't even read that book. I mean, that's wild, you know. We should be reading Ezekiel. We should be paying attention to what the scriptures are teaching. And if you, if you need help with that, I mean, there's so many really, really good Bible, not, not the wacko guys, but the Bible prophecy guys that can really help you through a lot of the stuff. I mean, we have so many aids available. But Antichrist, when he comes into the scene, can I tell you, he's not going to call himself the beast. <laughs> you know, I mean... He's not going to have like a beast hat or whatever, you know. And, and <laughs> He's going to come up on the scene as the man with all the answers. And he's going to bring peace on the earth. And especially he's going to bring peace to Israel. And for three and a half years, Israel will be blessed because of this peace. Does Israel need peace right now? They are literally surrounded. They have seven front, seven. <laughs> they have seven front, seven fronts that they're dealing with. I thought I had seven fingers. Um, but fronts that they're dealing with that are threats to them. You look at the United States of America. We've diminished. Isn't this hard for us as Americans? It just is. It's hard for us to see how we've diminished how we have madness from the top down. It's sad for us, but we've diminished. We could beat our chest and say, no, we're, oh, let's be honest. We're not, we're not, we're not. And you know what else we're not? We're not found in the Bible because we're not going to be here at the end. Or we're going to be so diminished in power that we won't even be a player to where once the world looked to the U.S. But Antichrist is coming upon the scene. And when the transgressions have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, this is the Antichrist, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, book of Revelation. Everything that Antichrist has, everything that the false prophet has, has been given to them. Note the words when you read Revelation chapter 13 and, and 14 and, and so on and so forth. It's been given to them, given to them, given to them. It's not innate. It's not in them. It says, he shall destroy fiercefully and shall prosper and thrive. And he shall destroy the mighty and also the holy people. Through his cunning, he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule. What did Jesus say? Before he said there would be wars and rumors of war, he says, let no one deceive you. Guys, what is, what, is, what is the mark of the last days? Deception. We have deception. We have deception in the government. We have deception. Have you, have you watched any of the Davos things that were happening this past week? Madness. Absolute madness. Witches. <coughs> giving blessings over the leaders of these, of these people. These are the movers and shakers of the globe at Davos. It says, he shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even rise up against the prince, that would be the Lord, the prince of peace. But he shall be broken without human means. We're watching the stage being set for Antichrist to step in. What does that mean? Well, from my perspective, I believe in a pre-trib rapture, so I believe that we're out of here, like, really, really soon. That's my hope, that we're out of here. But what does it mean for the world? 
It means deception. It means people will be duped by this person. They will love this man. They will believe that he's got all the answers for them. He will be pro-Israel, and they'll say, who could, who, could, who could say anything evil against him? In fact, that's what the book of Revelation says. Who can speak any evil against him? He will deceive people. There has to be the chaos. There has to be the lack of peace for this man of false peace to step in. And he will deceive. We need to pray for Israel. I've heard, I'm out of time. You guys come up, so I'm out of time. Surprise, surprise. Um, I have heard some of our Calvary pastors were in Israel uh, two weeks ago for a, a, a time where they were meeting with families of the hostages. And, um, and they were giving reports from Israel. And they were saying that they had, and, and a lot of these men, these pastors, go to Israel on a regular basis. You know, Tom Hughes, I think he goes like every few months, you know. And Tom was saying, um, I have never had the opportunity to share the gospel with as many Jewish people as I have on this occasion. The people, their hearts are softened. Do you know that the Jewish people, now listen, there's different categories. I, I wish it wasn't true, but it's true, it's true, it's true. There are those who profess to be Christians, and they don't know their Bibles, and because they don't know their Bibles, they're pro-Hamas. They're on the wrong side of history. They refuse to see the things that are happening. They refuse to see that God has a plan and purpose for Israel as a nation and the people of Israel. But the people of Israel are blown away. They say, in the world, the only friends we have are Christians that believe that God has a place for Israel. See, we come in not arrogantly, but humbly. You know, when you share the, 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 the Bible with somebody, a Jewish person, about their future, their history, and they look at you and say, where do you get this? And you're able to look at them humbly and say, from your prophets, from your prophet Daniel, from your prophet Ezekiel, could you show me that? And then they're open to your prophet Isaiah, who describes the crucifixion and the passion, the torture of Jesus, and their hearts are being open to Jesus, Yeshua. Praise the Lord for that. I heard and I shared it with the first service. We've been hearing reports, you know, guys, when we think of nations and we say, oh, this is an evil nation, this is an evil nation, we need to remember that the nation is one thing, the people are something else. God doesn't want any to perish. God doesn't necessarily deal with, you know, you know, nations as a whole. There's always the remnant. There's always individuals. And we've been hearing stories for a long time. As Iran amps up, you know, we're the big demon, you know, the devil, the Satan, uh, the United States, and Israel's the small uh, Satan. And they're amping up and their hatred and everything. We've been hearing reports about the Lord meeting with people, visions that Iranians are having. Do you know that there's a, like an absolutely phenomenally, a phenomenal church that's growing in Iran right now? And I just heard this week 
that people are having, people in, Palestinian people, are having these same experiences and they're, 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 they're being introduced to Jesus in a miraculous way and Palestinian people are coming to faith in Christ. Guys, can I remind you that you have Hamas, you have the Palestinians. You have this, you have this small, small little remnant of Christians in the Gaza Strip. Do you think that they're praying for the salvation of their neighbors? Oh, I, I'm sure they do. They're believers after all. Do you think they understand God's purpose and plan for Israel as a nation? I'm sure they do. See, guys, you, can, you don't have to root for one side. You can, you can look at things and say, God, you have a plan, you have a purpose. Oh, gosh, I've gone too long. Have you placed your faith in Christ, truly? Have you placed your faith in Christ? If Jesus was to come back today, would you go with him if he was to call you home? Or would you be left behind? You can laugh at it. Go ahead, laugh at it. But would you be left behind? I'd hate to be in that situation. Salvation, it's not by our good works. It's not by our righteousness. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ. He came, he died on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins. The enmity or the hatred that was between us and God or God and us has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. There is no forgiveness of sin. Jesus is the means of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. You don't like it? Take it up with him. Because you're going to have a personal one-on-one -on -one with him, apparently, at the great white throne judgment, something that you don't want to participate in. Believe in Jesus. Place your faith in him. Live for him. Tell people about Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and